Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight. I'm very, very glad you could join us tonight because we've got a super, super person on with me tonight. But but first, first I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Please look for him on the Internet, Ken Quiethawk, Native Storytellers. He and his wife do amazing work in preserving history through story. It it is an amazing way that, that cultures have... Preserved their stories, their cosmology, their philosophies, and handed them generation to generation to generation to generation. Much better than books, I truly do believe. So please seek it out, check it out, listen to the stories, and get an education you probably didn't expect. So for tonight, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about um, Ed Malkowski's Return of the Golden Age, and it's it's an amazing book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's it's actually not what you expect exactly. And let me give you a little background here. Since the beginning of recorded history, humanity has been in a continuous struggle over land and resources. It continues today despite the abundance we have created through scientific innovation and technology. Why such a struggle for resources exists has never been explained. Neither has the human drive to own, accumulate, and hoard. Ed reveals that answer in recognizing the reality behind humanity's earliest myths. He shows that the opportunity is at hand to transcend these inherited selfish traits and return to a golden age of peace and abundance. He explores the hidden meaning behind the stories, such as the Epic of Gilgamesh, Plato's Atlantis and myths of a new sky and a new sun, of great floods and the death of the gods and of the preceding golden age. He connects these myths to a real extinction event that occurred 12,000 years ago and explains how the survivors, our ancestors, were catapulted from utopia into a world of scarcity, scarring the collective mind of humanity and initiating the struggle for resources in an attempt to regain our lost paradise. 
He shows how our world system of economics focused on ownership and based on the false belief of separativeness, benefiting a few at the expense of the many, arose as a reaction to this catastrophe. Drawing on the pre-catastrophic teachings preserved by the ancient Egyptians, he reveals that we are returning to a celestial configuration parallel to that of the past golden age. Through our collective DNA memory and the creative power of our imaginations, we can end our 12,000-year quest to regain paradise lost and launch a new golden age of unity, abundance, and equality for all of humanity. So with that said, welcome to the show, Ed. Thank you, Barbara. It's it's good to be here. And I haven't heard that for a long time. It kind of gave me goosebumps. <laughs> well, who wrote it was brilliant, for sure. Uh, it was uh, the marketing department at uh, at. Uh, well, actually, I had something to do with it, but it was mostly the marketing I'm department sure. at my publisher. And, and, and that was like ten years ago too. So. Well, it, it's you know when when I when I saw the title of the book, I had in my mind. Um, I don't know what I had in my mind, but it certainly wasn't what you presented. And you have you know your book has you know triggered so much in me, in my consciousness, that, you know, I, I, I kind of am hopping around here all over the place. But for for those who have not had the honor of reading your book, and I highly recommend it, well, all of your books, actually, but this one was phenomenal because it really talks to to us today in the here and now, uh, even more than it talks to the history that led up to where we are now. So let's, sure. let's sort of go into what was the golden age that you're speaking of and what happened. Can I tell you first just briefly how it all really started with me? Because sure. this is pertinent to our discussion. Well, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a young boy here, uh, a teenager, uh, early high school, uh, my mom would like to read to me Bible scriptures when I was eating breakfast with the idea that uh, I was going to turn out to be a good boy because I was kind of a social crazy guy at that time. You know, you're, you're 15, 16 years old, and everything's new, and you want to party, you want to have friends, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, she would read me Bible uh, scriptures, and I got fascinated with the Genesis, the book of Genesis, particularly the, the story of the flood because... I knew the Bible was ancient, okay, and the author of Genesis, whoever it may be, was referring to a more ancient people, okay, called uh, the sons of God. They were heroes of old and men of renown, and mm -hmm. that just stuck with me my entire life, that there has to be something more. That's one part of it. The other part of it is as growing up, I was always consumed by these questions of why is society like it is? How did we get here? What are we doing here? And, of course, you know, uh, being a teenager, I really didn't dwell on that because I had to grow up and go to college and all that stuff. But eventually that blossomed uh, into, uh, into my passion for writing and my, my search for history. And that actually started with John Anthony West's uh, 1993, The Mystery of the Sphinx is how, is how it all began. And I've never looked back since. But the Golden Age, the Golden Age, really that, that term 
does not really appear in myth, okay, where it first appears is out of the Roman Empire. They refer to a golden age. Now, now in myth, the cultures that wrote myth, the Assyrians, the Sumerians, the, the Egyptians, they do refer to a previous time of abundance, of peace, of tranquility. But they don't call it a golden age. It's the Romans that finally call it a golden age. And they refer to it in, in their myths. And they also had a festival. It was called the Festival of Saturnalia. It was a seven-day festival, and it was the last, uh, the last seven days of December. It, it became our Christmas. So mm -hmm. that concept there, uh, the ancient peoples accepted that concept of, of, of a previous golden age. But by the, I mean, and this lasted for several thousand years, but by the time we get to modern life, here I'm talking roughly the 18th century, uh, myth becomes fiction, and the golden age becomes fiction. That's, that's where the actual idea of a golden age actually comes from. Because we people and, and our history, which really starts around 300 B.C. or thereabouts, here I'm referring to the great Greek philosophers and, and, the, and the emergence of Western civilization, uh, it doesn't really fit into our history. And so, you know, wanting to know where we came from and how we got here, uh, the entire mythological scene in the Golden Age was very, very important because it seems to me that as a society, as a humanity, that we are pushing forward in search of a Golden Age. Absolutely, yeah. So the golden age that is spoken of then is is pre-flood, probably. Pre-flood, pre, that's correct. Way pre-flood. So if you had to take a guess or put a year on it, would you say 40,000, 50,000 years ago or more? Uh, no, I would not. At one time, I thought that might be a possibility, but I think the Golden Age is, is, is actually a lot closer to our current time frame than, like, you know, many tens of thousands of years ago. I'm putting this Golden Age somewhere, and I haven't really finalized exactly when it starts and when it stops, because, because there's, there's not really good data uh, to go on. Uh, basically, as far as as far as as, as data goes, archaeological evidence, uh, we really can't get past 10,000 BC. There's there's really not much before that. It's just whatever the archaeologists dig up out of the ground. So, my whole approach. On, on, on my quest for truth, and when I say truth, I'm not talking about absolute truth. I'm talking about truth of the past. What happened? Yeah. Okay, that's that's what what, what I'm, I'm really searching for and trying to nail down. Uh, my best guess on this golden age is 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 going to be uh, after the flood, not before the flood. 
Really? I know that sounds really weird, and that's kind of that's kind of a new thing, but 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 yes, because the golden age was actually a golden age of agriculture. That's that's okay. what that's what all of the mythologies are telling me, and this is kind of well, new. If, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so if that's the case. If it if it actually is after the flood, how do you explain or do you explain the fact that the sky changed for these people? I mean, the end of the golden age was where the sky changed, where all sorts of horrible things happened. Are you are you, right. are you kind of are you suggesting that after the flood, this culture was there, or or this this part of us, the golden age, was there? functional within our reality and memory because we have things that date back that far. Um, and then that age was destroyed, and then we started over again? Correct. There's actually two floods. There's a flood <laughs> at... <laughs> and this is kind of new. I... Yeah. I'm working on I'm 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 actually working on the sequel to Return of the Golden Age right now. I, I'm fairly okay. close to being to being done. So so there is a little bit new information coming in uh coming in with this con with with, with this conversation and and, and uh the actual flood, oh. the the big flood occurred uh twelve thousand years ago. But then the, but then there's yeah. another global catastrophe uh, five thousand two hundred years ago. So, so there, there's actually two things to talk about now instead of one. Oh, okay. So, so you got the flood, yeah, and then you're talking about the the uh, young, driest younger uh, event, the mass extinction. Correct. Yes, five thousand years ago. Okay. No, 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 no. Right. That's not five thousand years ago. Uh, no, that was the longer. the. Right, right. the the onset of of the of the Younger Dryas was nine thousand seven. I'm sorry, ten thousand nine hundred BC, and it ended nine thousand seven hundred BC. Okay. Okay, and and then, and, and then there, and then so, and then there was another global catastrophe at three thousand two hundred BC. Now, right. now what has happened? What what has happened is is the archaeologists and the geologists. Okay, have been looking for evidence of a flood at 32,000 BC, and it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I mean, sure, there's there's regional flooding, you know, at, at different times, at different periods, and that does show up, but there's no evidence, no evidence of anything global at 3200 BC. Okay, we have to go back to the to the uh, 10,900 event, which has turned out to be more spectacular and more mysterious than I had previously thought. Well, because it, it, it involves us getting our oceans. Yeah. Okay, well then let's talk about the one you wrote about in the book, <laughs> the 12,000-year the one. Um, and I think what I want to go to, the the, the so many people don't understand it's how the sky changed sure that's yeah that's that's actually the key right there to everything okay is 
is is is is long story short, just to put that out there uh, to, to have a starting point is uh, the current scientific <laughs> paradigm. Yeah, the the current sci- scientific paradigm is basically a Newtonian, Darwinian, uh, Einsteinian uh, mindset, and if you're if you're a scientist or, or an, an, an academic, you you really have to follow those guidelines when you're doing research. Mm-hmm. So so that that really cancels out everything. And but with this paradigm comes the concept that that everything for our solar system and 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 our planet has been in place for millions and billions of years and and change is very gradual. But the fact is that's not the case. Uh, The fact is more than likely uh, we were orbiting the sun with the other planets together close by where you could see them at night, just like we see the moon. You could see Saturn, you could see Mars, and uh, the flood, uh, here I'm referring to uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Okay, Gilgamesh is like the very first written story ever. And, of course, uh, when it was discovered and, and, and translated, it was known to be the forerunner and the source for the story of Noah's flood. Uh, and Noah's flood is a lot shorter. The Epic of Gil- Gilgamesh is some twenty thousand words, as opposed to Noah the Noah flood story, maybe only I don't know five thousand words. So so it's really it's, it's it's telling a tale from from memory that that's a lot smaller than than it originally was. But in the Epic of Gilgamesh, it's very clear that the setting, the stage of what's going on is the heavens. And that the flood, okay, is a celestial flood, not a terrestrial flood. And this this changes this changes everything when you when you try and understand the story. <coughs> because uh, well just just who's Gilgamesh? Okay, we know that Gilgamesh is he's part God but he's part human. Well, what are they talking about? This is a, this is a, a major problem in trying to understand mythology, because because we have been taught as a people, as a society, for hundreds of years, that we should accept everything at face value, and believe it to be literal. Well, when you read the Epic of Gilgamesh or any other myth, for that matter. Is very obviously not literal, at least how we understand it. Right. So, so when you start reading uh, the story of Gilgamesh, the epic, with 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 the the mindset that this is a celestial matter, and it actually tells you that it's celestial, because you start looking at the characters, uh, Shamash, for example. Okay, that is the sun. So so how can the sun be a person character in a story that's on earth? Well, it can't. All right. And Humbaba, who happens to actually be 
uh, the planet Mercury. And uh, uh, Ishtar, well, that's obviously Venus. Everyone knows that. So the actual story itself is talking about what's going on in the heavens. Now, when we, when we get to Gilgamesh, okay, it's kind of intuitive. It de- they don't come out and tell you exactly who Gilgamesh is, but Gilgamesh is part human and part divine. And his buddy, Enkidu, is at one time was an animal. This is actually very interesting. Because Enkidu was an animal, and he was friendly with the animals. And how he became human is, is kind of strange, and I don't know quite exactly what they're referring to. But how Enkidu became human is a woman went down and started making love to him. And did this for a few times and took him in and bathed him and gave him clothes and then bada boom, bada bang, he's a human. So the way I'm seeing it is Inkadu actually represents humanity itself. Well, then who's, who's Gilgamesh? Well, what's this Gilgamesh? Is, is, is it a god that we worship? It doesn't really sound like it in the story. Well, if you think about it, then think about the relationship between Gilgamesh and Enkidu and Gilgamesh and the story as it involves the other planets. Gilgamesh is the planet Earth, which is actually, if you think about it, it's actually true. Our planet is part God and part human. And what I, okay. what, how, I interpret, how I interpret the understanding of being being part God is the conditions of our planet is perfect for biological life. Its orbit, the moon, the atmosphere, the magnetic field, the oceans, the ecosystem. It's like a thousand different things had to happen perfectly to be able to support life. And it was a real flood. At one time, I thought it was not a real flood. But actually, even though the source is celestial, it did turn into an actual rain of a flood. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it had to if the, uh, pole of the, if the poles of the planet had shifted or the plates had shifted, it would explain a huge flood. Yes, yes, but but where the where the flood came from is even more fantastic, uh, which involves the planet Saturn, and this might be a little bit new. Uh, Saturn actually had a, had a a solar outburst, for lack of better words. It, it actually had to spew out some of its mass. And that mass basically was was was, was uh, hydrogen and chlorine, and and that mixed into our atmosphere. And there there is scientific details behind this. I'm not just making this up as far as how it works. Mm-hmm. <coughs> when, when this when when this hit Earth, our atmosphere turned it into water, salty water with chlorine, and that fell added greatly to our oceans. 
Okay. Then how did dry land once again arise? Was that because the shift in the poles allowed for some of it to freeze? I mean, the land masses, well, what if, a, if they were covered, you know, if they were covered, how did, you know, where did the water go so the land could come back? Ah, uh, okay. I, I, uh, what, there's there's two different concepts going on here. We have okay. We have a pole shift, and we have mm-hmm. the rain coming down. Okay, so this is a double. This is kind of like a double. Double whammy. There, there was there was a lot there was a lot more land mass that existed at that time because the ocean level levels were significantly lower. Okay, so so, so okay. first off you have so so first off you have you have water coming down from the sky. Okay, and then and then you have a pole shift. Well, what the pole shift actually does, actually the the the, the pole shift is the real enemy. Because our planet is is spinning, and there is actually a bulge of water at the equator, because our planet is continually uh-huh. rotating, uh, and 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 uh, what happens when the planet did a pole shift? That bulge disappears and has to recreate itself. So, when the pole shift starts, the water that no longer has a bulge, it has to go somewhere. So, so, so it spreads out to try and be even because that's what water does, and of course this creates mo- monumental tsunamis everywhere. So, so what happens? Okay, but what's deadly is with the pole shift, the water of the oceans will actually flow over the land. Okay, it's just, it's like picked up in, in a mile high wave and pushed over the land masses. Okay. Which is uh, which is which is extremely devastating. And then then it takes time for the water to slowly make its way to to the basins. Uh, and this is probably how the Mississippi River uh, and and the Amazon River uh, got okay. their start because there's all it was all covered with water and it had to find. The, the path of least resistance to get to the basins to declare itself. So, well, the, that's how the that actual pole, sh- the actual pole shift, and and the flood. You're you're not talking, you know, like last Wednesday's the pole shifted, and this Wednesday we we had a tsunami. You're talking massive amounts of time, aren't you? Years. Uh, or, between or the pole there, shift and. And the flood? Yeah. That no, they were actually kind of together. It was what, it was kind of a a double header type thing. So right. What is what instituted the pole shift? What created the pole shift? Saturn started to move originally. Uh, Saturn existed in in our northern skies. Saturn was essentially a a, a pole star, uh-huh. and and we were peaceful in our existence. I, I guess the best way to describe what was going on is Earth was actually a moon of Saturn. 
that was the original okay. configuration. And uh, as as Saturn and Earth got closer to the sun that exists now, there is an electrical potential that, that has to be dealt with. Every body in space, every celestial body out in space has, a, has an electric potential. And there's no ground in space. Okay. Obviously. So, yeah. you, know, you know, we don't see it here because there's a ground. Mm-hmm. But it is it, it is evident here, even in the simplest thing of static electricity. You know, you scoot your feet on the carpet in the wintertime when it's really dry. Mm-hmm. A charge actually builds up in your body. And and I, I, I always tell the story about my wife because you know, I always kiss her goodbye when I'm going somewhere. And during the winter times, I scoot over to her and... I can even see it as, as, I, as I bend down to kiss her and say, I'll see you later. I can actually see the arc leave my lip and hit hers. And there's this <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it, it's that very same principle. So, so Saturn had to give up some of its body, some of its charge. That's where the rains come from. And then, then when it began to move, Okay, it moved closer to Earth on its way out, and the the magnetic fields of Saturn and Earth didn't like each other, and and Saturn's movement effect had that effect of shifting the poles on turning our planet upside down. Okay. So in essence, theoretically, everybody was wiped out, but they weren't. Yeah, uh, well, that's that's what the mythology says, and yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it's our, our the population of our planet was totally decimated. Uh, I've been reading a book uh, just recently uh, that's from the Native American perspective, and mm-hmm. the Native Americans were actually, and this is not in Return of the Golden Age. This is this is actually new material that was published afterwards. Uh, the Native Americans just come out and say it. Lightning killed the giant animals, mm-hmm. and the flood. Oh, actually, I, I I have to tell you the Native American myth because it because it is so cool. <coughs> Excuse me. Goes something like this. Um, I'm going to paraphrase, but it goes something like this. Uh, it had not rained for a very long time. And the wise men were worried that a great catastrophe was going to happen. But the ordinary people seemed not to care. And then one day, it started to rain. And each day, the rain got warmer and warmer. And by, and by the time of a moon, which is 28 days, instead of water being rained, rock was being rained. And then from the southwest came the water higher than any mountain. And if you were not on a mountaintop, you died. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that <laughs> sort of makes sense. If, if, if you think about it, that actually makes a lot of sense because when, when the European peoples 
finally got to the Western Hemisphere, in North America, they found a pristine land. There were people there, but not uh-huh. a whole lot of people. And hmm. North America was just teeming with resources. So that that makes sense. If everything was wiped out 12,000 years ago, then, then nature had time to totally do whatever it wanted to do and, and, and repopulate the land with plants and animals. And so was was it after this that that this golden age was created from yes, the ma'am. survivors? Okay. Yes. That's So with that so so no more dinosaurs to eat you just smaller animals to domesticate and Correct. But that, but that there there, there is an exception. Okay. Okay. It it seems that that uh, North America, actually, I should say probably the, the northern hemisphere. Really, I mean, yeah. the, 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 the the catastrophe was global, but but it seems like North America and and across across the pole, Siberia, in the northern areas of Russia, that took the brunt of the catastrophe. Which actually makes well, sense because because since Saturn was to our north in the northern sky, that the northern yeah. hemisphere would take the brunt of the catastrophe. But l- large animals, the safe place to exist seemed to be uh, the equator on the other side of the world or just above the equator. I hear we're talking about you know Africa and, and that area in there, the, the, those la- those latitudes in there. Where we still have elephants and rhinos and giraffes and and the hippopotamus and and those types of animals. Well, that I mean, North America, the northern continent, was covered with ice for thousands of years. Well, so, uh, theoretically, that's 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 a huge debate right there. Uh, that's that's a huge scientific debate because. One school says our planet has never changed its orbit and that the pole changes are totally magnetic, not physical. Okay. I'm saying they the pole change was physical. Oh yeah. Not just magnetic. I believe that. Okay. And they say that the ice ages are because of the change in the orbit of our planet, that at times our, our orbit becomes elongated. And sometimes it becomes more circular. Uh, again, this this is not really fact. This is a hypothesis based upon research. Okay, just well, like so. So this is when this is when the golden age came about. Yes. Okay, and. This is when the guy gods were were created, or this, is this where the, the the story of the sky gods comes in here? Yes. Okay. And is this the same period of time where um, when um, Solon went to the temple in Egypt and the, and the priest showed him all of the 
statues of the the past pharaohs or the past uh, high priests and at one time it came to an end and they and when someone said well what what came before that and they said that's when the gods were among us is that when that time happened okay are are you referring to the time of the gods yes yeah okay okay i'm going to work backwards on this uh, this is what the ancient Egyptians actually say themselves about okay. their about, about their history. Is is dynastic Egypt with means begins at 3000 BC. Okay, mm-hmm. and before dynastic Egypt was ruled by 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 the pharaohs, then there was some 13,000 years where the followers of Horus ruled. Mm-hmm. That takes us back to our 10,000, 11,000, that, that type of area. Okay. Okay. And then they say before the followers of Horus ruled, the gods ruled. And can you guess who the very first god, and this is going back to 39,000 BCE, who the very first god of of Egyptian history was? It, it, it was the sun god Ra. Okay. And that, and that makes that makes absolute perfect sense, because Ra Absolutely. wasn't really the sun god. Ra Ra really really wasn't the sun that we know of. Ra was Saturn. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Am I getting you getting you mixed up and confused at all? Not yet. Okay. I'm actually with you so far. <laughs> so that's so. It. Okay, go ahead. Is this so? So this is a time where. Okay, so this is the time that the sky gods were there. This is the time there, there, that the gods were actually the planets, not actual people. Correct. Correct, okay. and it was total, and and, and it was total. Well, it's, I guess we're talking about two different golden ages. Okay, now that I okay. think about it, and and this is the first time I've ever said it. Uh, but we know nothing about when when the gods ruled. We truly know nothing because that's all they say is that the gods ruled, and this is pre. You know, eleven thousand BC, where there's almost no archaeological data to go by. It's it's extremely scarce. Well, yeah, I understand. There's no archaeological evidence to it. Right. Um, right. But from what from, from what I can understand, when the gods ruled, okay, that was actually what the ancient Egyptians referred to the first time. Not the Golden Age, they refer to it as the first time, which was also uh-huh. a very peaceful, easygoing life because we were a, a, a moon of Saturn. We were protected by Saturn's plasma sphere, and it was a nice, beautiful, warm planet everywhere. Huh. And so we lost that when... We lost that. Correct. At ten thousand nine hundred BC, we we lost okay. that, 
and the planet started to move and our solar system started to change and that ushered in the golden age of agriculture okay. and that truly was and, and that truly was a golden age also I'm sorry to, to, to pop these two different golden ages on you like that, but but really hopefully that clears fair, things it's up. Not in your book. <laughs> no, that, know, it makes sense to me. But but so what? What I'm trying to I, humanity has had times in which there was peace, love, and abundance, and and you know the Bible speaks of the Garden of Eden and stuff like this. So so it's out there, and and it's yes, it is something that humanity has experienced at some point in time. Correct. Yes. And we we yes. lost it because um, there were major catastrophes that scattered humanity and destroyed. Correct. The, yes. in, actually, the atmosphere had, and environment. Go ahead. Yes. Actually, actually, there was a series of catastrophes between between uh, eleven thousand BC and and actually we can go all the way down to six hundred BC, but that that's actually another story. You are you are correct in what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. So, so you have this destruction, and and during this time of the golden age, great structures are created. Great things are achieved. It isn't just that there was lots to eat and stuff like that. It it was a time of no war, no greed, no hoarding. It was a blissful time. But the people who were doing this, were they the same humans that see i'm i'm that we I were? have this feeling that yeah, I have this feeling that you're talking a culture in one place that is not no longer here, and then another culture experiences the second golden age. Yes and no uh the the original culture out of the golden age of the gods they were decimated however they did have survivors and mm-hmm. they carried they couldn't carry the the technology through because for for building large things and doing grand things you need a lot of people because you have to have some labor okay yeah. uh uh they carried, well, I'm sure they carried the technology as well as the philosophy after the catastrophe. After they, after the catastrophe is over and things settled down, they did restart their civilization. Okay, but the name of the game at that time was to survive, and that was that was very difficult because because. Everything was a mess, and we, it, our planet turned into a planet of scarcity because everything was ripped up and destroyed. Uh, so, so the, the survivors had to figure out how to eke out a living. This is where farming uh-huh. and agriculture comes in. And and at that time, uh, it was it created a gold another golden age. They sort of recouped some of what they lost. 
but then of course you know more catastrophes came and as time moves forward the technology is lost the philosophy and the understanding continues forward by storytelling so so a core of super ancient Egyptians survived okay and 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 brought their history down to them so finally around you know 3000 BC to 2000 BC the descendants of the original Egyptians actually started to write stuff down uh-huh so that's actually what happened. That's how it all this passed down to us. It 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 makes sense. However, um, since you've thrown in an extra flood, um, what I don't understand is the 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 core of most people is their belief system, their philosophy. Oh yeah, that's their, a big problem right there. Yeah, correct. So. So it's it's the last thing to go, and yet it seems to have gone before. I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be carried through. Whatever whatever within those people that created that kind of environment that was a golden age, that part of them didn't die, and it it, it wasn't a it wasn't a material component that can be lost easily. So where did right. that go? Because that's what created the golden age. And and you know so, you come back So so we're talking about the so yeah, we're talking about the creation of evil, aren't we? Yeah. And and yeah. what I don't understand is, you know, okay, um all right, you take away everything I own, I still have my belief system. And right. that's what gets me through. I have my imagination. Correct. I have my consciousness. I'm able to survive. Um, right. You know, maybe maybe not prettily, but I can do it. So, so you take it, and and, and I'm going to teach my kids that same philosophy because that's what sustained me through my hard times. So the philosophy, the the belief system, should have carried through no matter what happened because that's 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 your creation. And that's it did. Who you it are. It did carry all the way through. Yes, it did. It, it, it well, did carry all the way through. You're, you're correct. Well, uh, see, they, see that the problem is there was more people on this planet than just the Egyptians. Okay, I mean there, there's people everywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And 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 uh, the people who who were not really part of that original Egyptian culture, uh, they had it a lot worse. Uh, they were holed up in pockets in different parts, different terrains, different parts of the world, and and they had to figure out how to survive too. Mm-hmm. So 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 with the onset of the flood and and the most recent golden age, we have a mix of people now. Instead of just everyone living in in, in, in plentiful uh, beauty, so we have all kinds of different thoughts going on. Okay, uh, the the people that were living in in Central Asia. This is I'm here. I'm talking about about Russia uh, between the, the the Caucasus Mountains, the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea. Uh, 
those people up there had it had it much harsher, much harsher, because of, because because of the pole shift, they had been taken from a from a temperate climate and pushed into a subarctic climate. So so in order for for them to survive, they needed to concentrate on on horses and cattle, and they became warriors. Well, I think I think my confusion here is when you say golden age, I'm thinking you mean the whole planet. And the whole the whole planet was was at a golden age before when, when the gods ruled. Okay. In the previous time. But the second golden age was not global. It was restricted to different areas. Correct. Okay. Okay. Now. I'm so, 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 what, what we have here, we have the golden age, which is older, and then mm-hmm. we have the golden age of agriculture, which okay. is newer. Okay. And the golden age, the, the, the golden age of agriculture, uh, was kaput around well, three thousand BC. And we kind of have a new golden age of agriculture. We kind of have a new golden age, new golden age of agriculture right now with the technology and the farming of the of the, of the past one hundred years. So, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, the point being, come in? yeah. The point being, I mean, at one time, our peaceful, beautiful planet. Okay, uh-huh. and then it was not a peaceful, beautiful planet. Okay, and 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 our mindset as a humanity, as a people, okay, comes from the end of the golden, the, the end of the golden ages. You can say both golden ages, for that matter. It's true. Okay, that's where our mindset as a people and our fear of not having enough. Okay, that's where that comes in, and that's where the evil comes in, and where the evil comes in to explain the birth of explain the birth of of, of evil. As the planets were seeking out their peaceful orbits around the sun, okay, uh, instead of orbiting the sun together, the planets were breaking apart. And some some orbits were elongated, some some orbits were not. So from time to time, we would have close encounters with the planets. And when a larger planet would get close to Earth, it would cause great problems. Uh, the number one problem uh, that occurred is this this inequality between the between the electrical charge of an approaching planet and the charge of Earth. Uh, that there would be just hellacious uh, plasma arcs from from one planet to the other, and basically this is a lightning strike that is uh, sustained and is in the multi millions of volts. The heat is enough to actually melt the ground. Okay, mm. so 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 basically, I'm going to take the point of view of a human that was alive at that time. Okay, 
Now remember, yeah. the gods are the gods are celestial and the gods ruled. Okay? All of a sudden the gods are changing and they're upset and they're killing us. Physically. Okay? Uh-huh. This is where sacrifice comes in too. So this whole concept of sacrifice, okay, it's it's here. I'm thinking okay. These gods are killing people. They they want people dead, so let's try and figure out a way to appease the gods. So let's start killing some people, calling a sacrifice to the gods, so hopefully the gods won't kill us again. And there, right there, is your origin of evil. Wow. Killing is bad. Whether, 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 whether I, I mean, killing... Killing for food is one thing. Kill just to kill for another reason is, well, it's, it's wrong. It's evil. And that's, that's how it got started. And since it's okay, since it's okay to sacrifice this person to a god, well, well, you want my land? Uh, I'll sacrifice you if you want my land to the gods. So it, 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 it takes off from there. And then you get people fighting over resources. On top of that, and then so you have evil into the world. And yeah, Pandora's box. Uh, it's, it's but there's something there's something unique about that too, because if if you think about it, our experience as human beings on this planet is composed of opposites. Male, female, white, black, night, day, wet, dry. Did you you, you see what I'm saying? It's it's almost as if the opposite defines its opposite. It's a head scratcher. It's sort of, though, when you look at the difference between the Golden Age and then the age of technology. In the golden age, there's enough for everybody. Everybody's happy and fine. There's no, there's no. It doesn't appear that there is any growth during the age of, of, of abundance. And yet, it feels as though when you get to the like current times, that 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 there is a requirement for growth and expansion intellectually and consciously too in order to help to provide better for society. I mean, not not every not every technological giant is is giving you, you know, technology because they want to better us, but you know, every, there there are a few of them that do, but but not many. So that so that again you you have giants, quote unquote, corporations who are now becoming as gods to us. So you know, it, we, in many yeah. ways, yeah. In, in many yeah. ways, we're just re, reliving the past and repeating our, and and certainly reanimating our our errors and our ways. It's you know, it's very sad to look at because you know, you people worship the almighty dollar. People you know want to have more toys than anybody else does, and and there's no reason for it. You don't need it. You no, don't need no, five but, cars, but you know. But you know, you know, on a on a on a, on a philosophical note. Uh, it's 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 like we're forced to worship the dollar. We don't have a choice. 
I mean, I mean well, how, you have to have money to live. <laughs> it's, there's no way around well, it. That's true. So, but but there are there are um, groups of people on the planet that are doing just that. Um, the the uh, the Mennonites, the um, the Amish. The Amish. Um, that's correct. Yes. Yes. So so that so that those concepts are still a part of our culture. But nobody yes, has recognized are. it, and uh, nobody's recognized it and said, "Hey, that's a better way to go. Let's do that." I mean, you know, they're an oddity. They're not. They're not something that people, you know, flow to. That's correct. I think that consciousness of humanity is getting better and better and better all the time. It's. 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 It's it's increasing its awareness and growing all the time. I think what the problem is is that never gets any press in the media. You oh. never hear about it. Okay. Uh, I read a book, oh, probably a decade ago, uh, by the name of Joel Goldstein, and then this was a Christian book. He was a mystical Christian. And he seemed to really, truly understand the words of Jesus as far as, as far as love and helping people. And he made the comment in one of his books, and this book was written probably in the late 50s, early 60s, that there were very few people around the, around the world like him that were actually enlightened to, to that sort of thing. And, uh, I think that has changed dramatically in, in, in the past 60 years, that instead of being like maybe a few percent of people being enlightened, that that number is probably up into the high 30%, low 40%. Uh, just for example, uh, my dad loved to take me to bookstores back in the 1960s and, and early, early 1970s. And that's just what we did when we went shopping. He took me right to a bookstore because that's what he wanted to do. I went with him, my uh-huh. sister went with my mom. And so, you know, I, I was old enough to understand the book titles, the concepts, and all that. And I personally saw this rise in philosophy, humanitarianism, and consciousness just in my lifetime. Because those books, starting in the mid-70s, I believe, those books really started to fill the shelves of bookstores. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore because Amazon's changed everything. But, but yeah. I, if you go to Amazon and, and and you type in consciousness, enlightenment, and stuff like that, you get a lot of returns. You get you get a lot of books available. Whereas 50, 60 years ago, those books just simply didn't exist. So I think we're on the right path. I think the problem is uh, the evil that we had to embrace at that time which has created war and all kinds of bad things. That is st- that still is part of our nature as a human population. A lot of it has to do with religion. A lot of it has to do with politics. And, you know, so, 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 so you have your control of land and resources, and on the religious side you have the, the control of the mind. Okay? Uh, there's powers that be that want to control those things. And and that is due to the fear 
of not having enough that dates way back to those catastrophes 10,000 and and uh and 5,000 years ago. So well, that seems to be the the last hurdle to get over. That that seems appropriate because I remember I mean I was I was born in 1944. And so I didn't remember going through the depression and and World War II and things like that, but um I know my my mother and my grandmother they had what you would call a, a, a depression um, phobia. You know, everything That's was hoarded correct. that could be hoarded just to, just yep. in case. I mean, and you know, I I picked up some of those habits. I I find myself you know trying to stock up on things, and it's kind of like you know, what's the matter? There's a grocery store every five blocks. You know, I mean, it, it's it's not necessary, and yet it's inbred within us. And and I would think if if an ancestor of mine literally saw the sky falling, literally saw planets moving into different directions, literally experienced, you know, acid rain and stuff like that to an extent that you had to live underground for a while, that that would be a pretty powerful thing that, that genetically followed generation after generation after generation. So how do we get rid of that concept that, you know, you don't need five cars, you only actually need one. You can only drive one at a time. Or now you don't even have to be in the damn car to have it drive. But but so how do we take that now that, I mean, it's been there so long, how do we get rid of it so that we our, our philosophy is looking at, you know, I'm fine. I have one of everything that I need. I don't need more than that. How do we get to that, how do we remove that kink in our DNA to allow us to pass on for future generations, not the fear that the sky could fall and you could have to, you know, you'd have to have enough food for five years built up in in the bunker so you would survive. How do we get rid of that? That's the $64 million question, Barbara. That's That's a very good one, too. Okay, the answer is Consciousness and enlightenment. Okay. Okay. All right. We live in a capitalistic world. Yes, capitalism has won. Uh, it's 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 very very clear. Uh, the socialistic communistic experiment uh, that started in 1917 uh, was a failure. And yeah. Oddly enough, the failure of communism. Is is really the same failure that we're seemingly experiencing right now? I mean, there's still there's still an inequality in the people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's the one percenters, or actually actually to, to be to be truthful, it's the point one percenters versus everybody else. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, now, let's see what's 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 interesting. And 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 really, some people have a hard time grasping it. Is uh, capitalism has been a necessity uh, in the past, uh, you know, five hundred years or so? It's actually been a necessity because uh-huh. you cannot you, you cannot engage in large projects, large researches, large constructions you can't do that without a mass of money without a hoard of money uh 
Let's take the Great Pyramid, for example. All right? Okay. Uh, uh, Some guys in in Europe did a study uh, a number of years ago on how much it would really cost to build the Great Pyramid. And they determined that if we use the exact same materials as the Egyptians used, the cost of, 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 of the Great Pyramid would be something crazy like $435 billion. Okay. Now, if we cheated and, and, and used substitute materials, we could get that number down to $35 billion. Okay. So, so uh-huh. this concept of, of needing capital to do grand things is, I'm going to have to say, it's a naturally occurring principle. That's part of our physical nature. So, so mm-hmm. capitalism has been responsible for a lot of innova- innovations these past 200 years and has brought us what we call the modern life. However, there's a certain segment of people, they really haven't got the memo about equality and bringing everyone forward with you. So what has to happen is, and it, and it is happening, okay, because like I was talking about in bookstores, the books on consciousness and enlightenment, uh, there's more and more and more being published. This is kind of a matter, uh-huh. it's kind of a matter of time uh, moving forward. As time moves forward, these numbers about the number of people being enlightened are going to move from 40% to 50% to 60%. And there's some threshold in the future. I don't think it's going to be in my lifetime because I'm 60 and probably only have 20, 30 years left. But from for, for, for my children or my grandchildren, it might very well be in their lifetime. Uh, if you look at just recent history, and here I'm talking about the past uh, 500 plus years, the last 600 years, the people of our planet want to be together. Mm-hmm. Okay? We want to have relations. We want to trade goods. We want to trade concepts. We want to be with other, be with, be with each other. Uh, when I was in Egypt for a month back in, back in 2007, uh, the first day on the Giza Plateau, uh, Chris and I came off the plateau, and uh, I stopped and talked to one of the, I don't know what you call these guys, valet. It wasn't a valet. It was, uh, it was an usher that worked for the hotel. And he spoke really, really good English. And uh, I told him, you, you guys have a fantastic country here. You have got such treasures that are so ancient. And he started wagging his finger at me. And he says, I, I said, you're lucky. And he starts wagging his finger at me. And I said, no, 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 no. You're the lucky one. And I looked at him and cocked my head. He said, you have a U.S. passport. <laughs> he says, we love your people. We love you guys. We don't like your government. So if you want to put it into that frame of reference, it's the people in charge. Maybe that's the answer to the $64 million question, or at least part of the answer. It would seem, I mean, it's got to start someplace, and, you know, you can start at the bottom, but 
um, the bottom is too needy, and if you start at the middle, that's that's not going to work. And if you start at the top, good luck. Um, right. I some I I sometimes wonder, you know, what is the point of humanity? What is the point of each actually being here on the planet? Um, and to this point in time, we haven't treated the planet well at all. Now, according no, to no, you, we haven't. <laughs> no. According to you, we've we've had a couple of times when we we were living in harmony with it. There's there's a wonderful um, video out there on YouTube, and it's a two hour video. I think it's called Home, and it's the most graphically beautiful. Um, piece of work I've seen on the planet and the resources and the beauty of it. It's it's something oh, everybody should watch, watch it. Oh, it is it is absolutely the most spectacular thing I've seen in a very long time. And I've watched it a couple of times because it is it is beautiful. But but the reality here is that there has to be I don't know, something that starts the ball rolling. And when, when when I look at our culture as it is, and, and I'm talking about world culture, if if 3,000 years from now you checked into the planet, nothing that we have done will be there. The Great Pyramid might still be there. Ra- Mount Rushmore yeah, might still be there. Yeah, exactly. It's scary, isn't it? But, yeah. but we've, we have done nothing that that symbolizes uh a society or a culture or or a species that that says you know we were here and and so 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 then what is the point of of us being here on are, are we ants you know and just little insects that eventually the planet will shake off or are we a, we are spiritual entities that are here to serve a purpose and, and 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 do something with our consciousnesses to rise us above the physicality i mean there there's got to be a purpose i would think maybe yes. maybe there doesn't have to be but i w- in my mind there has to be so so why are we here i mean we have survived uh, mass extinctions catastrophes golden age catastrophe golden age and, we and so all forth. Kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but why? I mean, what was well, the point? The mammoths, the mammoths aren't here. They, there right. was no purpose to right. them. Right. I mean, so why are we think, here? I don't think our nature is physical. Well, no, okay. I agree with you on that one. Yeah. No, no, no. That this, this. I've been struggling with struggling is not really like the correct word I should use. I've been contemplating this for for for, for many years, and 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 in this in this past ten years, it's gotten even worse because because uh, my understanding of of who we are is that at one point in time, let's say ten million years ago. Uh, these monster electrical currents in space, which is which is called space plasma, which is dark matter. Uh, yeah. This is the source of creation. Electricity is the source of creation. Okay. Okay. And 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 when when electricity is pushed into a nebula of dust and hydrogen and helium. Uh, 
it will energize that 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 nebula of dust, and as more electricity comes into it, it actually the electricity itself with its magnetic field it actually starts to pinch off and create what's called plasmoids, and these plasmoids actually turn into either stars or planets. Okay, now okay. With, with Earth. Now with Earth, you have that, and then on top of that, you have. Well, well, we are a water planet to begin with. Uh-huh. You have water coming coming onto our planet, and the Egyptians say this too, that the water held the DNA. They they didn't say DNA. They said that the water coming down to Earth had all of the design of the forms in it for the planet, which is the same thing as DNA. Yeah. So so here we are. We have this very mysterious beginning coming out of an coming out of an electrical bang. And here we are. And uh-huh. our life is temporary. Everything's temporary. So yeah, it's a very good question. Why are we here? Uh, I think we're here to enjoy ourselves. I think we're here to play music, to play football, baseball, basketball, tennis, whatever, uh, to find mates, to enjoy life, make love, raise children, and simply enjoy the experience. I think that's the real reason why we're here. But I also think there's a secondary reason. And, And this is going to be very metaphysical, uh, that the physical nature is not our true nature. But but through this physical nature, we are creating something else in the non-physical realm. Now, where that's going, I I really can't tell you. I don't, I don't think no one knows that it's got to be good. Uh-huh. What do you think about that? Well, I sort of agree and I sort of don't. Um, to me, um, I, I don't think that, that that we have been put here um, for the fun of it. I think it is a classroom. And and I think I think first of all, let me back it way 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 up that that we have living we have. Our, our physical body is an avatar for a spirit that has no form, no shape, no nothing. But it's an energy. And it may be electrical. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I do know that we are elect- entities in correct. and of ourselves. Yes, our, that, our brain cells that, are all, that's I mean, correct. There's that, electricity there. But that's correct. The our spirit, soul, so to speak, is, is yes, yes. Okay, so so the spirit... The soul is the personality that this this entity has taken on for me. The soul is the personality that the entity has taken on. The spirit is along for the ride to learn, to grow, to be able to express in new and different ways as it as it moves forward in time. The soul and the body will eventually die and go back to dust, dust to dust. But the spirit moves forward in time and, and maybe interdimensionally, I don't know, 
but I, I think there's a purpose for a lifetime here on the planet. I, I, my feeling is that when we go through global things like we're going through now, this is a testing period for for many people. But it's not a it's not put in, put there by a higher power or a higher being. It is just you know survive this and you survive this. You'll grow stronger. You'll be better. You'll 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 move and you'll grow. Um, and certainly, you know, having children and being joyful and, and making love and all of that's in there for sure. But but it's an experiential um, experience for us. It's because as a spirit, um, we are we are we have no shape, no form, no physicality, so we can't experience many things like love and pain and suffering and joy and all of that. We we can't experience it because those are are, are um, meant to be you you have to be in human form in order to experience them because there are endorphins and there are all sorts of things surging through this avatar that we've got that's such a cool thing but but the spirit is observing from a different plane so that so that you and I sitting here um, are vehicles for the soul to question and to to grow and to learn from, and and yet you know when you and I are long gone, the souls that you and I carry are going to have moved forward to possibly other dimensions, possibly other realms, possibly other galaxies. Who knows where they're going? But but there's a specific purpose and a need for a physical reality for the spirit to experience certain things. And that said, I, I do believe that, that unfortunately, you know, joy and love and all of those are one of them, but also pain and suffering is, so that we can understand what what you can do to one another given the opportunity. And I think it's a bad thing, but I think it's something the, the spirit needs to know so that it tries to avoid it next time it, it, it incarnates as a green blob someplace else or as a bubble someplace else or whatever, but 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 this is an experiential place. This is a place where spirits can have a physical feeling for what it's like to be held down by gravity and and to have interaction with each other because in, in just the pure spiritual form there is no capability for that. So, I think there is capability for experience in a non physical form. And what I mean by that, that's so I can clarify myself, I think the experience here in human form is intense experience as opposed to not so intense experience. We're we're locked well, if, in. Well, if you just had spirits out there, all they'd be doing is talking philosophy. You put them in human <laughs> Yeah, what what, what what would they be doing, right? <laughs> Yeah, come on. I mean, so so you put them in a human form, and they can compete, and they can talk, and they can, you know, you, they can express their philosophies in a verbal, physical way, so that so that there is energy that is created that way, which is a very cool thing. But yes, it is. But, yeah. You know, as, yeah. as a spirit, you know, all they they just kind of float. They're androgynous. There there is no 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 now for them there is there is just ising is an isiness 
And and so. But, but um, how do we know that for sure? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I'm not trying to argue with you, but but I, I mean, the simple fact is 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 we really don't know for sure at this point in time. No, so you know what we do? We create myths that become fact after a great deal of time of being <laughs> expressed. So, well, it's maybe we are the creators himself, themselves, itself. Well, I, I okay. think we are. I think I think we create our reality by our perception of it. Absolutely, and yeah. and I think that I, I think absolutely that that the spirits within us are capable of putting holograms of all sorts in front of us that, for us to experience. So so and, and and I do believe most of us have experienced that where where we think we see something that actually isn't there or we have a deja vu experience. I mean, there are lots of things that we experience as humans that the spirit within, you know, is able to give to us if we are if we're willing enough to embrace the fact that they're possible. Are you yes. a, a a devotee of reincarnation? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. That's the only Absolutely. thing that makes sense, right? Yeah. Listen, nothing as complicated as the human spirit was just one up. It just wasn't. Yeah. No. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It, it's it, it's not an accident. And memories of this and other lifetimes wouldn't be there if they hadn't happened. That's correct. This is where the golden age really comes in strong. This is where the mm-hmm. mythology really comes in strong because it's 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 interesting. It's it's my heart really first and foremost is kind of the kind of the history of it. Although I I, I do excel in the in the spiritual and, and metaphysical matters, but but uh, but history, trying to figure out history seems to be a, that's that, that's my goal number one. And uh, and and it seems that 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 is that is truly the case. Uh, it's that the memories, DNA. Well, the whole DNA, the whole DNA thing is is a, a little bit disappointing to me. Uh, you know, the DNA was discovered back by by uh, Crick and Watson in, in the in the fifties, and and they thought they had all the answers. Science thought it had all the answers. But then they come out and they say that 95% of your DNA is junk DNA. Well, that can't be true. <laughs> that That's just, that to me, that doesn't make any sense at all, that 95% of our DNA is junk. All right. What, what they mean to say is 90, 95% of our DNA is unknown what it's for. Okay. Right. And, 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 and actually, as we speak right now, uh, there are Biological scientist uh, Rupert Sheldrake is one of them, and he's an Oxford man. He is really deep into this. He is even on record as saying the sun has a certain level of consciousness to it. And he's done studies on DNA memory uh, with animals mostly, uh, birds, and, and they do remember. And there's been some studies done with people over over the past hundred years, that uh, let's just pick some uh, some uh, atrocity. Uh, oh, certain people in in the Soviet Union that grow up 
grew up in a really bad, bad time, uh, that memory is actually passed forward to their descendants. Sure. Because their descendants keep that same frame of mind. So it is with the Golden Age and the super ancient Egyptians. Okay? This this uh-huh. DNA memory has come forward to us. And what's really interesting is in the last last thirty years, maybe even forty years, uh a large group of people, I am one of them, and there's a whole lot of others. Scott Crichton's another. Of course, there's Graham uh-huh. Hancock. There's all kinds of people. Uh, we have taken it upon ourselves to study history and get our own answers. Why? Well, Because it, we feel it. I personally believe that the, um, I'll call it junk DNA, it's not. I think within that DNA that hasn't been delved into yet, um, we carry within, within ourselves our own hall of records. Yes. Yes. So that, so I that, agree. And are you the one that told me who has the most junk DNA? Uh, I, no, I don't think so. Not oh, sure. okay. Good. Who well, has I was, the most I, DNA? I wasn't... What... Most junk DNA. The the species that has the most junk DNA are cats. Cats? Cats. Really? Really? <laughs> that that is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I I so actually if, love cats. I I know I do too. But so if so if that un un designated DNA carries our hall of records carries our our past lives carries everything from the beginning to the end whenever it is then then it makes great sense it's like our brains we're, we're, they say we only use 6% of them then what's the rest of it for it's not to gather dust there's there's a reason for it absolutely there is yeah 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 there's there's no question about it there is so that so that we're in it, it's sort of like we're in a luxury a luxury vehicle and we haven't learned how to I don't know put the defroster on yet. I mean it's just it's it's mind-boggling what is stored within us that that we have access to if on a consciousness level we get to the place where thing you know the the switchboard lights up and it's like ooh look what I can do now. And, and and I think that's where so many people fall short of their potential because they're always looking for someone to teach them something instead of going within and learning it from themselves. You're absolutely right. I, I agree 100%. I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to so do we, more. We, we have cross, to get there, though. As a, we, we have to get there as a humanity. It, it, it seems to be this whole this whole thing seems to be linked to Everyone getting on board with it. Everyone Absolutely. being in agreement. Yeah. And it's 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 like we're fighting ourselves. Yeah, and it, it just unfortunately it looks almost as though another mass extinction or something is going to have to wipe out 
90% of us in order for the rest of us to get together and figure out where we're going. This could be a huge spaceship we're on, and we just haven't found the control room yet. Well, actually, it's actually it is a spaceship, Barbara. We are well, yeah. we are not just spinning, you know, rotating and, and orbiting the sun. We we are actually moving through space on, on a on a trajectory like at sixty six thousand miles an hour. For, I, where I, are I we going? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's another question. Like, why are we here? I mean, there's. We're all walking around here blindly trying to to create and, and to, you know, take care of those we love and provide and all of that sort of stuff. But, but, but there's another part to it. You know, you're also here to expand consciousness. And are you? Are you really working on that? Or are you just playing, playing around until next lifetime where, where, you know, maybe you'll be born into a richer family or something? I mean, it's just, to me, it's sort of like we all have an obligation to stretch and grow as, as, as well as we can and to integrate wisdom that we gather into our own wisdom. And that creates a greater wisdom and then share that greater wisdom with other people so they can take that in and snowball it around. Um, that's how, in my mind, that's how the golden age would come about with, with the snowball effect from from student to teacher to master to student to teacher to master. You know, it just it it looks like it's it's evolving. It's very slowly, I might add, but but that seems to be the purpose. I agree, but to get there, I, I think we have to change governments government styles. That yeah, seems I would to be one you. of the. That seems to be one of the main problems. Uh, have you ever read Plato's Republic? Pieces of it. Okay, Plato. Well, just in general, almost all of the Greek philosophers, from Thales all all the way to Aristotle, uh, even Pythagoras, and and the later ones, uh, Ian, Ian Bleachus. They all went to Egypt to study. That's mm-hmm. that's very very interesting. And Plato, some of the people after Plato, they they kind of accused him of of, of plagiarism. Did you did you know that? Yes, that I do. Yes, the 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 that's that's Ruby, my cat. I, I just let her in the <laughs> office. If, if, if you heard that, uh, it seems that the the temple system of the ancient Egyptians was actually their form of government, according to Plato, uh-huh. because because Plato speaks about a an an ideal government system where where you break the people into different segments. You have the business segment. You have the warrior segment, and then you have the – I don't even know what to call it. You, you have the ruling segment. But the ruling segment is not really a ruling segment like we think about rule. Okay, This, this college of – it's basically enlightened people that rule. 
this college of enlightened people, okay, are many. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's not just one person ruling everything. It's 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 everybody. And how I think it works. Oh, anyways, a lifetime thing. If if you are part of the college of of rulers, okay, you you will be well taken care of. However, uh-huh. you will have no business interest whatsoever. And your your whole job in life is to take care of the people and plan for the future. And it's this is this is the wisest people there are in the country. Get together and create a body of government to make sure the welfare of everybody moves forward. Uh, and of course, what you, do you remember what Plato said about democracy? No. Democracy, democracy will always eventually uh, disintegrate into tyranny because of greed. Hmm. So you know, you know, it's how can we move to that type of government where our well, here, let's just take a, you know, congressional-style government, for example. Okay, here mm-hmm. in the United States, we've got, what, uh, three or 400 congressmen, and then we've got 100 senators. So we've got, uh-huh. you know, around four or five, got four or 500 people that their whole job is to create legislature for the entire country. Okay, now, unfortunately, how to get there at this point in time, is all about money. Who yeah. you know, how much money you have, you know, uh, uh, who's, who's back you scratching to get their promises, campaign promises for this, that, money from here, money from there, promises to the people who give you money. Uh, you know, they're not going to really truly represent the, the, the vast body of people. But if you have no ties to money, no ties to corporations, and and your sole role in life is to figure out how do we how do we deal with this what we have right now as best as we can with the technology and the resources, then you have a much better chance of of getting to that golden age sooner as opposed to later. So yeah, how do I we get there? You. Okay, okay, okay. This, this is the really this is the really big problem. Uh, my sons call it the Star Trek problem, because in Star Trek, there's no money. Of course, this is the 23rd century. In Star Trek, there's uh-huh. no money, and things go on without money. Well, how, how, how do we get? Of course, of course, Gene Roddenberry, you know, the creator of Star Trek, he he doesn't tell us how he gets there. It's just it's just there. So uh-huh. that seems to be one of the one of the avenues to get there quicker. Well, it would if you did away with money, you'd do away with greed, that's for sure. Um, it it does feel as though, I'm not going to say it's hopeless, but I, I am going to say that it's difficult. And and I think that, that uh, as far as the government goes, um, I totally agree. It, it, it isn't working, and they've built... They built ways to make changes into the into the Constitution, but 
I mean, can you picture that, them, you know, saying, for instance, limit their time that they, they can serve? I, I don't see them floating time limits or, or giving themselves a deduction in pay or anything. I We gave them control over their own existence, and therefore there's no way to control them. So it's, exactly. it's not. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And that's very easy to see with, with, with uh, President Roosevelt. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt was a very popular president, very popular he was elected to four terms. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that after uh, Roosevelt passed away and 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 life moved forward, it was less than a decade that Congress came out and said, "Hey, we can no longer have a president that that does more than two terms." Kind of interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting, and, and, and yet they didn't do that to themselves. I mean, correct, and you look at it, they, they spend, of the seven days a week, they spend four or five of them raising money so that they can get elected again instead of taking care of business and, and doing what, what is needful for the country. And, and I have never understood why we are sending, um, well, for one thing, we had enough, had enough oil to be independent, but we sent our oil over to Asia to get processed to be sold back to us at a higher price, which was stupid. But but we were doing that, and then we became energy independent, and then then we're not anymore. So it's to me, it, it it's sort of like our government, in my mind, and you know this may get us kicked off a of blog talk radio, but in my mind. Um, the government isn't taking care of the people anymore. We have people starving here, and yet we're sending billions of dollars out of the country when we could have housed and fed and clothed our own people. I don't understand it. it that's just simply greed. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't make sense either. But but it's just, it's just flat-out greed. Uh, I'm going to have to defend a little bit just just for the sake of argument, defend uh the constitution and and the the democratic system there is uh have you ever heard of manly p hall of course i have yes okay, okay. I'm, I'm sorry yes i uh, have yes <laughs> yeah yeah he's famous for his book called the teaching of all ages, which is kind of a great, a great big yes it is uh, I actually lost my copy, and I had to go buy another one. Uh, he puts this big overview of the spirituality of our ancient past, and uh-huh. it's a, a fantastic book. He also wrote another book called The Secret Destiny of America. Have, have you heard of that one? No, that one I haven't heard of. Yeah, he's got this book called The Secret Destiny of America, and he gets into the foundations, the spiritual foundations of the United States Constitution and the country. And I I really like where he's going with that uh, because our country was set up correctly with the three branches of government, judicial, executive, and legislative 
as a republic uh-huh. and how and how each checks the other. Okay? Uh but as long here we're we're getting back to the same problem. As long as you have greed in the world, as long as you have a certain segment of people who who I, I guess you can call them evil. Uh, I don't like to call them evil. I, I like to call them wrong. But, but <laughs> you know, uh, as long as you have a certain segment of, of, of people that really, truly only care about themselves and no one else, uh, we can't get there. And that's no. that's the same that's the same problem we have. Uh, and it's not just the United States. It's just about every country there is. It's not you know. It's, I, I love our country. Uh, it's it's. I mean I mean, you know, I'm thinking about Manly P. Hall and this getting to the golden age and the secret destiny of of America. Uh, to put America into perspective. Uh, we are the great melting pot. Okay. Uh-huh. The population in our country has come from every in the world. We have people here from every other country in the world. We do. Uh-huh. And and that makes up our population. Over a period of about four four hundred years this has taken place. Okay, and and it's it's this is this is kind of a this is kind of a thought I've had in the past that 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 all of the people who were dissatisfied with their position in all those other countries over the last two three four hundred years they came here to America for a better life. Uh-huh. Okay, and now. Uh, we are in a position, here I'm referring to the United States, we are in a position to be the leader, the watchdog, the guardian, whatever other words you can throw in there, of the entire world. Uh But yet, on the other hand, it seems like all the other people in the world really don't like our government. And it's kind of a head scratcher. <laughs> but 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 that's kind of how I put the context of our country in in in, in, in the big picture. Because well, I think that you know originally originally I think that, that the ground rules were fine. Yes, but but you you needed to have. I mean, most of the founders, creators, if you will, were deists. You know, they weren't they weren't particularly religious. And that's correct. And that and that's a good way to create a foundation for something like a government. But right. but what happened was, I guess. Yeah, my grandfather was a politician. He was a, uh, a state senator from Massachusetts. So I didn't know him at all, and I wish I had now. But the corrupt—I I think there's always been corruption, but there's always been there's always been a balance where the corruption didn't have the, the the higher ground. And the corruption now, in my in my opinion, has the higher ground, 
and and it's hard to get back what you've lost because the people in power have control over so much. Now, now I know that it's possible yeah. to do it. You know, I, I know it's possible to do it, and without bloodshed. You know, let's let's be honest. You know, here I I, I don't want to. I, in no way am I advocating a, a you know a coup or anything like that. But I am saying when we elect people, maybe we ought to pay greater attention to who they are and where they come from and what and what their life has been like, rather than oh I got a shirt and I got a. Uh, a hat and I got something else from somebody else and so I'm going to vote for him because he gave me stuff or he promises me something that he can't fulfill that's that's the other part you know people stand up and promise you things they get elected and then they don't do any of them right. so right and so, then and then it seems to be a popularity contest on TV yeah you know you know what I'm saying I do. I, and, you know, they tried it, to limit the, the amount people could spend on elections, and then people said, forget this, I'll just spend my own money. And, and then they outspend the others. So, you know, it... Yeah, it, it's just like whoever can spend the most money wins. <laughs> clearly. And, or yeah. whoever is a puppet for somebody we don't know, you know, and, and, and puppets are put out there because they look good and people will vote for them, and then the people who have pulled the strings start pulling strings and then, again, promises that have been made aren't kept. So I, I think maybe it starts on the very basic level that you, you make sure that the people you elect are sincere and, and have the good of the community and the good of the people at hand. And if you continue that process, sooner or later you get enough people in government so that so that they are going to take care of the masses instead of themselves, hopefully. Right, right. But this is this is this is what I call the spiral circular logic that that that's a trap. Because yeah. you're, you're correct in what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, but the, the way the way I kind of look at it and think about it is the people who really truly need to be in government, those sincere, honest people you're talking about, they don't want to be in government because it's such a pain in the butt to do that. Oh, it's a swamp. It's, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You, you, when, when, when you uh, run, run for office and, and win, everything about you is under a microscope. Uh-huh. And who wants that? No. Oh, listen, I, I I have a son who seriously considered politics at one point, and I begged him to not do it because I said, first of all, they're going to look into your background and see you have a mother who's in metaphysics and an aunt who's a shaman. You know, you, you won't stand a chance, and what it's going to do to your family is not going to be worth it. So I'm sure it wasn't because of, of, my, of my rationale that he didn't do it, but I'm very grateful he didn't. Um, no, there's there's got to there's got to be a better way, and I don't know what it is. You know, and, and usually you shouldn't criticize unless you have a solution for the criticism, and I I don't have one. Um, but maybe the more I criticize, I'll figure one out. No, it's 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 just it's definitely the hard problem. Uh, and and again, we come back to the same place that that we originally started. I don't know, half an hour, forty-five minutes ago, is is that 
uh, it's the whole consciousness thing and enlightenment yeah. and, and, and that and that the only thing that's going to change things is as more and more people become enlightened, okay, and start to really, truly care, you know, uh, uh-huh. for, his, for, for, for his brother, uh, that's how we have to get there. And you know what's really interesting about this? Uh, it, 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 it all seems to coincide with the, with, with the first century. Uh, it, it's, uh-huh. it's, I am not a Christian per se. Okay. I, I, I don't believe their dogma. It just, it's just, I just don't believe it because I, I don't think it's real. However, okay. however, uh, Mr. Jesus, the philosophy of Jesus, and then here when, when I say the philosophy of Jesus, did you remember those red letter Bibles? How when Jesus said something was yeah. red? Okay. Yeah. All right. Did you ever read one of those and just read the red letters? Uh, no, did I didn't. If you just read what Jesus said in the red letters, you get a totally different perspective. Uh-huh. Jesus was a human being that was on a path of enlightenment, and he had become a master, and he was trying to teach that. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the, the one the, the the one scripture that that sticks out of my head real big about this matter is uh, oh the the Pharisees were always attacking him verbally on something, trying to make him slip and arrest him whatever, and uh-huh. the, they asked him one time, what is the most important commandment? And there's there's ten of them. Okay. They want yeah. to know from Jesus. Well, well, what's the most important one? And and uh, Jesus threw him a curveball, and I don't remember exactly what he said. I have to paraphrase because I haven't read that in a really long time. What Jesus told the Pharisees is that, and I don't remember how he did that. I wish I did, but I'm sorry I don't. How he did that because because the first commandment is love the God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Okay. Now, uh-huh. he he turned it around and basically said, the only way to love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul is to love your brother and take care of your brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> and basically, that's what enlightenment is: is all of us taking care of each other. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. So 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 if you if you really think about this grand scheme of things, it's been going on. It's been going on for two thousand years. We're, we're we're trying to get to this point. W- w- me and you, or Joel Goldstein, <laughs> or Eckhart Tolle from five hundred years ago, we didn't create it. Someone else did two thousand years ago. Well, and, and, and <clears throat> if you if you do believe in reincarnation. The reason we're here now probably is to correct an error or two. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we we reincarnate into times of change and drama, and certainly we're going through that right now. And I think I think on the planet at this time there are probably 
more people with ascended consciousness than there ever has been before. Absolutely. And and I think you know, I, I think that it's important that people understand that that there's a reason you're here. It's it's not just to take up space. There's a there's a purpose and a reason. And you know, we, we all have to do our part. You know, and, and every little bit counts. And, and I think your book is your book is a really really amazing book for people to read to sort of begin to understand that that there are well, cycles. It, 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 it we, hasn't sold all that well. <laughs> Not as much as well, my I other books. Well, I bought it. <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you. Uh, it's when, when, when I handed it in ten years ago, the acquisitions editor said, "Ed, this is a great book," and I was really excited. Yeah. Uh, well, but it you, you seems know something... to me that people still want the physical stuff. They want to know about the pyramids, well, what happened back then, and you know. When when I created the the deck of cards that I created and turned it over to the publisher who wanted to publish it, which I thought was a joke, but it, but it wasn't, and and it's out there. And I said to him, "These are before their time. They're they're not going to sell that well." for decades probably maybe even a century and um they were st- they stopped publishing them oh gosh at least a decade ago or so and now they're harder and harder to find and yet people are paying ridiculous amounts of money for them because people are looking for them and i think your book is the same way i think that it will attract people who are at a time and a place within their own evolution that they are looking for this kind of information and i wouldn't be surprised if it if it didn't have a um a a resurgence of people you know uh looking for it and and reading it and sharing it i certainly hope so because because what got me started in this area was a book that was uh, written way back in 1980 uh, by a man by the name of uh, David Talbot. It's called uh, The Saturn Myth. And it did not sell. It was way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, you know, he he was going to write a, a a sequel to it. I mean, he, he actually had that in his foreword. And he was going to, you know, this, there was going to be two books. But uh didn't sell all that well, and he never wrote uh, the second one, and he was ready to give up in, in, in the early 90s. He just started to sell his, his book collection of, of mythology and stuff. And a scientist came to him and said, hey, wait a minute. I think you got something here. And that changed everything. I I, I hope it's – oh, yeah, uh, 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 his, his book, uh, The Saturn Myth – I bought his book back in uh, 2011, I believe it was, for $25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what the book's worth now? I, 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 the last time I looked, it was like it was like a $500 book. <laughs> wow! Because, it, because 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 there were no more. Okay, mm-hmm. the the publisher printed that that first printing back you know 40 years ago, and that's all they printed, and it was done. Yeah. It was out of print, so you know, you know, uh, David Talbot and and the whole uh, Thunderbolts project has has been moving for twenty, thirty years and getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and with all the people uh, jumping on board with that and being attracted to it, like myself, 
the demand for his book has gone through the roof, and the prices have gone through the roof. So, you know, I need to publish, need to republish it and then get it out there. Uh, but this is where we get to an age thing, though, where, where other people have to take over. I think uh-huh. David Talbot is probably pretty close to being 80 now. And, and so, you know, of course, John and Anthony West passed away a year or two ago. So other yeah. people need to come up and, and, and keep this thing moving forward. Well, they're out there, and I'm sure they will step forward when the time is right. But as far as that goes, and you're out there, and that's important. Uh, we, we're down to the last minutes here, and I, I, I do want to thank you so much for coming back on the show, and I'm looking forward to doing this again sometime. I'll pick another book, and we'll tear it apart and go into its philosophy too. Not tear it apart, but, but piece by piece discuss it. You know, in other words, well, um, you, can, you can say tear it apart and discover. That's fine. I understand. Well, yeah. yeah, I would no, love I, to. I, I don't. I, I don't disagree with anything you have to say. I just maybe subtly here and there, but um, but that makes for good discussion. And and it's always a pleasure talking to you. It's always a pleasure with you. You know, and I think the main problem is 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 just words and language. Because oh, when, 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 do it every time. Yes, yes, yes. Because when you were talking about soul and spirit, uh, oh, about an hour ago, it, it's it's in in my mind what you called soul, I call spirit, and vice versa. Oh, so yeah, I recognize that. I recognize that right off the bat and said, "Okay, I got it. Yeah, you're right." <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, I have that on recording. Uh, so I will talk to you soon. I, I sent you the um, the link to that video on home that you should enjoy greatly. And um, I look forward to talking to you again real soon. So thank you for being here. You're very welcome, Barbara. Okay. And good night, everybody. Uh, check us out on YouTube. If you like what you see in here, please subscribe. Check us on um, Rumble as well. And whatever's appropriate there, please do that too, because it's the only way we know you're actually listening. And look forward to talking to you next week. Both Mark and I have great shows. So have a good evening, have a good week, stay healthy, stay out of trouble, and come back and listen to us again. Good night now. <laughs>